well, hey, this is Eric. I'm one of the ministers at Regency. I just wanted to thank you for checking out this message. We're praying that God uses this message to draw your heart closer to Him. If you're ever in the Mobile area, we want to invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. If you'd like to find out more information about Regency or to check out some other resources, visit our website at regencycc.org. So the past few weeks, our kids have kind of gotten back into bike riding. And where we live in our neighborhood is a pretty great place for riding our bikes. There's this cul-de-sac at the end of our road. And so typically, our kids have been content with riding their bikes down the cul-de-sac and doing a little loop and coming back to our house and just keeping around the cul-de-sac. Well, now they want to venture out a little bit more. They've discovered some hilly places in our subdivision. And that's fine for our two older kids, but our youngest son, Houston, he wants to run out there and we don't really want him to go out there, especially when it's just the kids. And so recently, our older two kids, even though we asked them not to, started to venture out further into the subdivision. And Houston, who we had told to stay behind, he all of a sudden starts running after them because it looks fun, because he wants to join them. And so we're calling Houston back. And at one point, Houston runs into the middle of the street and he's just kind of running down the street and we're panicking a little bit and we're calling him to come back. For Houston, he has this choice, he has this dilemma, he has a vision of where he wants things to go, of how he wants things to work out. And to him, I'm kind of ruining that when I call him back, clearly. I'm crashing his party. And of course, I want him to have fun. I want him to enjoy spending time with his brother and sister, but in his mind, he's running for his life. He's running for his betterment. He's running for some fun. He's running for the good life. But what he cannot see is that he's actually running from his life. If he runs out into that road and a car comes around the corner quickly, I mean, that's, that's it, he's, he's done. And I'm very aware of that. And so I wanna make him aware of that and I wanna have him come back. And it's a situation where Houston thinks that he knows the better choice. And so he runs in that direction. But here I am actually knowing the better choice and I'm trying to call him back. This image is precisely the image of what's happening in Jonah. God wants Jonah to participate in this amazing event of his grace and mercy coming to these people that you would never expect it. And he becomes so fixated on what he wants and his issues that he can't see that. Jonah's blind to it. And so Jonah thinks that he's running in chapter one. He thinks that he's running for his life. But the sad reality is he is running from his life. And it seems to me this is the situation that every one of us finds ourselves in every single day. When we face the decision of whether or not I'm going to follow Jesus. In a way, the whole vision of obedience and what's happening here, it's all summed up at the cross. Because when Jesus calls us to follow him, he is calling us to see that he was the faithful human being. He's this, he's this covenant partner that none of us ever was or ever could fully be. And Jesus lived for us in a way that I could never. And he died. He absorbed the cumulative weight of the horrible, stupid decisions and mistakes that we make when we run from life. And in God's mercy, and in his love, he conquered it by having Jesus rise from the dead so that he can offer us life and grace and forgiveness. He offers us a better way. 
when we think about baptism. Baptism and the amazing beauty of what is taking place in baptism. Baptism has a death that takes place. There is a death to your version of what life should be, of the good life, of what life should be about. And we let that die. And in faith, that what Jesus, we have faith that what Jesus is inviting us into is so much of a richer form of life than we could ever imagine. In the story of Jonah, we get this prophet. And as the prophet, Jonah should know better. Jonah should know what the correct way is. Jonah should know what the correct response is. He should understand that obedience is the right way for him to take. But Jonah keeps making the wrong decisions. And the people that Jonah encounters in the story, whether it's the pagan sailors, or in just a minute in chapter 3, whether it's the people of Nineveh, these are the people that don't know God, yet they seem to have a better understanding of who God is and what God can do, rather than the man of God, the prophet Jonah. And so let's pick up together in Jonah chapter 3 as we have this encounter between Jonah and the people of Nineveh. In verse 1 it says, and this is right after Jonah has been spit up out of the big fish. Verse 1 it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. So as we know, Nineveh, is this capital city of Assyria. It is the enemy to Israel. And in verse 2, Jonah is told by God for the second time to go and preach. And this time, Jonah obeys. This time, he complies and does what God wants him to do. And so we see here our God being a God of second chances. And this second chance is evidence of God's persistent calling and his patient love. It's evidence of his desire to save the city of Nineveh and to use Jonah as his messenger and how that's not changed. Humanity's disobedience doesn't change God. God's relentless love and calling, that changes us. In verse 4 of chapter 3, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So one day in into this huge city, and Jonah delivers the message. And really his message is five Hebrew words. Five words. In English, it's eight words. And it's 40 more days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Or another translation says, Nineveh shall be overturned. It's this short, odd, unusual sermon that Jonah delivers. There's key things that are missing in his message. There's no mention of what Nineveh has done wrong. There's no idea of how they should respond. Jonah doesn't even mention God in his message. So what's going on? Is Jonah trying to intentionally sabotage his own message? Is he trying to ensure that his enemies, that the Ninevites, have destruction? Well, we see in verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. So, Jonah proclaimed the message of God, and the people respond with genuine and humble repentance. And then we go on in verse 6. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. 
but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. And as we will see, this is clearly more than a casual acceptance of Jonah's message and his God. Their response, their reply impacts every person in the city in life-altering ways. They fast, they mourn, they commit to changed behavior. And we see here an example of biblical repentance, of a changed life. Paul talks about this idea in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, where he says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. You see, true repentance will be evidenced by life change, not simply just confessing guilt without an impact on future actions. When we decide and commit to repenting, there is action involved with that. Surprisingly, this response is the result of Jonah's reluctant and short message. His sermon, this grand total of five Hebrew words, we see it isn't the eloquence of the length of the message that convinces the people of Nineveh, but rather that Jonah delivers in obedience to God. And so if Jonah's plan was for the people of Nineveh to not respond, his plan doesn't work. The entire city, including the cows, which is utterly ridiculous, they all respond to the message that Jonah presents. Verse 9 of chapter 3 says, Who knows? This is the king's response. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Again, in this chapter, we see God being the God of second chances. He gave Jonah a second chance to respond and obey. And here, even though it wasn't involved or included in Jonah's short message, the people of Nineveh are also given another opportunity to follow God's ways. And again, we see that the pagan people, they seem to have a better understanding. They're more responsive to God's instructions than even his own prophet of Jonah. And so God forgives. There's no destruction And that last word in Jonah's short message, that phrase of of Jonah saying, uh, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Some translations, that word at the end there is overturned, overturned. And literally it means turned over. So Jonah, when he says it, his meaning is this idea of the city being overthrown, the city being destroyed. Like in Genesis 19, the same word used there is talking about Sodom and Gomorrah being overthrown and destroyed. But what actually happened is this word of overthrown, overturned, turned over. That word is also used in other places to describe transformation or change, like in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 6. And so comically, humorously, ironically, his words, Jonah's words, come true, just not in the way that he intended. Nineveh does get turned over as Jonah's enemies repent and find God's mercy. And this idea of repentance is a turn. It's a recognition. It's an understanding that I'm headed in the wrong direction and I need to do this 180 and repent and turn and head in the other way. Jonah has this moment. He's heading in the wrong direction and God forces him to understand and recognize he needs to turn and head in the other direction. The people of Nineveh, 
they need to turn and head in the other direction of the way that they've been living and going. Now, when it comes to Jonah, no one studies the book of Jonah for preaching tips. His epic message, all eight English words, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's, that's it. There's no funny stories. There's no sermon illustrations, no three points of alliteration to make it memorable. Just 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. It's almost like this cartoon character standing on the side of the road with a piece of cardboard that says the end is near. And it worked. In spite of the most phoned-in message the world has ever known, in spite of Jonah not wanting it to work, in the face of every possible reason why it shouldn't have worked, the people, the people of Nineveh believed God's message. And notice, it wasn't Jonah's message that they believed. They believed God. And the people of Nineveh, they didn't stone Jonah. They didn't impale him. They didn't threaten him. They just believed him. They turned from their evil ways and stopped all their violence. They even made their animals fast from eating and drinking and put sackcloth on them. They didn't want to take any chances. They were hoping God would show them mercy if they repented. And God heard them. God gave them grace just like he gave grace to Jonah. Next week, we'll find out how Jonah feels about how effective his preaching ministry had been. Spoiler alert, he's not very pleased with the results. And so there's a couple of things that I want to focus on as we wrap up our time together. First is this. Sometimes obedience is enough. You might not feel like having that awkward conversation about Jesus or inviting someone to join your life group or calling out a close friend or family member to repentance when they're living in sin. You might not think that they'll listen to you or that it will do any good at all, but the results, the results are not our job. Our part is just to surrender and do it anyway. It's not our responsibility to make it effective. God does that. If God gives you a mission, here's the second thing. If God gives you a mission, he will also provide the power to make the mission work. We dig up the ground. We plant the seeds. We pull the weeds. But we can't do anything about making it rain or bringing the seeds to life and causing them to grow. That's God's part. Our job is to go and to say the words. It's his job to make faith in the heart of the hearer. He is the one who gives life. Jonah's message was kind of lame. It was painfully simple, but God used it to call thousands of people to faith and repentance. When we speak God's word to people, even times where we feel uncomfortable or are reluctant or can't get the right wordings, what it really says, even if we're not feeling it in the moment, is that he will also use us to call people to faith and repentance. And so the next time that you're afraid to speak up and tell someone something, maybe you feel something inside of you that's calling you to say something to someone, remember Jonah. He didn't want to. He did not a great job. And God made it work anyway. And this is good news because it means it's not up to us. Whether the church in Mobile grows into something beautiful and amazing or not, that's up to God. Our job is obedience. Our job is to show up and be faithful, speak to people, and invite them to join us in following Jesus. And we can trust God to bring the mission alive in their hearts, just like he has done in ours. And so if we find ourselves, like Jonah, running from our lives, 
if we, like Jonah, know what we should do, but aren't doing it, may we go back to a life of obedience. May we take the second chance that God is offering to us. Or if we find ourselves like the people of Nineveh, and maybe for the first time we are recognizing sin and shame in our life, may we repent and turn to God and accept his love and grace and obedience and baptism. May God give us boldness. May he use us to call people to faith and repentance. May we be faithful in what he has called us to do, and may we take it to heart with great comfort that none of this is about us or up to us. It's about what God is going to do through us. And God can do amazing things through people who obey.